This gun sure looks deadly, but it's not the least bit deadly unless I point it at someone and pull the trigger. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Repeal the 20th Century. Today I have with me uh, Germanel Van. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi. Uh, so it's Germinal. Germinal. Sorry. Yeah, Germinal Van. My apologies. Uh, no worries. Uh, well, thanks for having me on your platform. This is a this is a great opportunity. I haven't been on a podcast in a while. Yesterday I was with Tom Woods on his show. That was fun. We talk about my latest release on on the economic policy of Thomas Jefferson. But uh, a little bit about me. So um, I was born and raised in Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire. For people who are more familiar with with the country, so I'm a uh, um, so I'm a French speaker, as you could tell by my accent. And uh, I, so I did my primary and secondary education there. And I moved to the United States in 2010 to pursue my, my college education. I studied political science and I had a minor in philosophy and, uh, and French literature as well. And then I graduated in 2014, and I went to do my master's in political management at the George Washington University, where I graduated in 2017. Then I wanted to go to law school, but for some reason it didn't work out. I took the LSAT three times. Uh, it was rough. The language barrier was a real issue when you have to uh, to think on your feet. Like you have you have 25 questions for 35 minutes. It's rough. Yes, I mean, I think you want to go to law school too, so you know. Yeah. Unless, unless you, unless you, uh, I don't know if you, if you took the, uh, the LSAT already, but if you haven't, be ready. It's not easy. Yeah, I've done, <laughs> I've done a little practice test for it. And, right. Uh, it's already rough, but uh, right. working on that. So. Um. So um, yeah, and then after that, I got into writings, and that's how I got into economics, and uh, and statistics and everything so i'm pretty much a self-trained economist so I, I learned economics on my own i never took a single class of economics in my life at least not in school but now with uh, online education you can still pursue an education you know without having to spend much so that's how i i train myself as an economist yeah well it's a very uh in terms of economics a very henry hazlitt sort of story with that uh, self-training yourself on economics, but you you have written um, several books on economics, um, including your latest release on the economics of J Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. So that's that's like a 
really great accomplishment and, and one I'm quite um, envious and and of uh, as someone who wants to publish his own books and, and publish my own work. But um, you know, I first encountered um, your work. I want to say either 2019 or early 2020. Um, and I found it really interesting because you talk a lot about developmental economics, uh, particularly in Africa, which I'm sure hits home as someone who was born there. Um, and you have a lot of like interesting ideas about uh, just how much the, the, the challenges that African nations face in terms of market liberalization and um, how they can grow. So the first thing I wanted to, to kind of touch on is what what are the main challenges to market liberalization in Africa today and really with all developing economies? Well, um, I think the real challenge is accepting the the benefits of a free market economy. The problem is that people don't realize, I, I, I would not say they don't understand, people understand, but they don't realize how capitalism is the actual economic system that lifts people out of poverty. But, you know, capitalism has been vilified for so long now that when you say it out loud that, you know, we want to liberalize the economy, we want to do this, we want to do that, people immediately become defensive and think that we need the government to do those things for us. And one thing that people don't really understand as well is that government is propertyless. Government has no property. Whatever we say it's government-owned means it's people's own. It's for us because government doesn't have money on its own. The money government has is through our taxes or it asks the central bank to print. So these are the two ways government gets money, but government doesn't have money on its own the same way like you will have your own money because you work nine to five and etc. So so talking about market um so talking about the free market back home is not an easy task. And on top of that, uh, many Africans believe that um socialism is the answer, although there's many evidence that points out that socialism has failed wherever it was tried. And because Africa, I mean, because African culture, generally speaking, has more of a socialistic um, cultural feature. So they think that socialism is a natural thing for us to do. But they forget that at the end of the day, no matter what your skin color is, your ethnicity is, no matter where you grew up, we're all human beings. And human beings are naturally selfish. <laughs> there is no exception. That's the, that's the fundamental rule. We all think about our self-interest. And until people understand and accept that's how we are, we can try all sort of like artificial um, system to make it work. It will lead to the same results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting you bring up that, you know, capitalism has very much been vilified, not just in Africa, but in the West as well. But I also see um, a lot of uh, Westerners kind of um, I think a good way to explain it is, is West-splaining um, to Africans or people in developing countries, especially those, uh, I see it mostly with those who have escaped um, 
second world countries, so post-Soviet satellite states, about socialism and that really the problem of that what they're facing is, is not because of socialist policies or socialist history. Uh, it's because of Western imperialism, particularly the concept of neo-imperialism, um, which I think is actually more exemplified in China than the West um, with the buying up of... Uh, infrastructure projects in Africa and then using that as a way to kind of like bargain and, and, and influence policy in um, African nations both abroad and domestically but uh, I wanted to ask you you know like what role does that play does the West play in either pushing Africa to more towards market liberalization or pushing it away from so African thinks that the West is the problem, mm -hmm. the same way, you know, in uh, in former Soviet states and in Asian countries. And we think that it is because of the West. So scholars who support Marxian theory develop what we call the dependency theory, which means that poor country cannot develop because whatever raw materials they have, it's all it all goes to rich countries that take advantage of that and prevent them from developing themselves. So they attribute basically uh, colonialism to, you know, to the problems and believe that by collectivizing resources, that's how we, they will be able to fight the West. Countries that understood capitalism prosper. I can take my own country, Ivory Coast, when you look at the map of uh, West Africa, specifically in the 60s, in the late 50s, early 60s, during the independence, Ivory Coast was the only country in the region that embraced a free market approach. Politically, they were all dictatorship. There was no political liberalism. And it was more economic it was on the economic side that they have um, differences. So Africa was the only country that embraced free market capitalism by countries like Burkina Faso, Mali, Ghana, Guinea, Liberia, all these guys nearby went for socialism. And when you look at Ghana, for instance, under Kwame Nkrumah, production fell. Uh, the management of state-owned enterprises declined because resources were mismanaged completely and wages declined as well. And it was after Kwame Nkrumah that Ghana started to pick up. And in Burkina Faso, same thing. Mali, same thing. They all apply socialistic policies. So when you look at Africa's between 1960 in 1980, everyone was coming to Ivory Coast to pursue the education, to start a business and stuff like the same way we all come to the US, for, you know, to live, to have a better life. It was the same. Why? Because capitalism works. Whether you like it or not, it works. When we give you the opportunity to start your own venture, dude, you're going to work for it because it's your venture. Because capitalism forces you to be responsible. That's why people don't understand. It forces you to be responsible. You have your business. If I'm asking you right now, do you think the government can manage your podcast better than you? 
I'm sure you know the answer to that. Of course, of course oh, not. Yeah. All right. Like, of course not. Why? Because only you know how you manage your podcast. You know what resources you invest in this podcast to work. So it makes you responsible. If I don't like the way you host me, I can just write on Facebook that, hey, Andre sucks. This guy is a really bad host. Never go to his podcast again. No one will listen to you. <laughs> so you see that you have to man up. You have to be responsible. You have to make an extra effort because that's your property. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's the power of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and people in Africa are not taught the power of private property because when you own things you're meant to manage them responsibly otherwise you not make profit of it mm-hmm. so. so an argument i see a lot from socialists particularly on the subject of africa and um sometimes they like to to say that africa is a unique situation that it is deprived of certain natural resources and and that that is why they cannot liberalize as the West has and have the same success. Uh, well, I, I kind of want to know what your response to such an argument is. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think I even wrote an article on the Mises Institute about this. You see, this is, again, it's all a mind. It's the initial of mindset. People tend to forget that white people were poor. <laughs> we, 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 you know, Africans tend to think that, oh, white people, they're like, Yes, they're economically, technologically more advanced than any other civilization. I mean, now China is catching up. But the point is, it didn't fall from the sky. Like, Europe was damn poor in during the the, the in in the in the medieval time. It wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that Europe started to pick up. But why? Even when you look at Spain and Portugal, who went and colonized the Western Hemisphere, they they colonized South America entirely. But look at them today. What has happened? Today, like, if you want to go look for a job in Europe, you're not going to go to Spain or Portugal. You'll go at least to France, Germany, or England, or maybe one of the Scandinavian countries, because that's where wages are higher. But you're not going to go to Italy, Spain, or Portugal. And yet, Italy, uh, I mean, Spain and Portugal colonized a lot of countries on this earth. But why now they're so poor? Simply because they did not make a transfer of capital, meaning they did not transfer knowledge. Because wealth is something you create. People never ask the right question. They always ask like, oh yeah, like how should we curb poverty? There's nothing to curb. (laughs) There's nothing to curb. Poverty is the norm. You know who is the poorest people on earth? Uh, Take a guess. I, if I had to guess, yeah, uh, it would likely be. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, I actually read an article on this. Uh, there are some tribes in South America that are considered the poorest people in the entire world because uh, of of a. Um, Lack of transmutation, uh, transmutation of knowledge, I think, is a big part of it. Yeah, but first of all, your your answer is not wrong at all. But I will even give you a, a simpler answer: children. Children are the poorest people on earth until they become malleable to apply the skill they learn into the workforce. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So it's to tell you that a child 
if a child doesn't have its parents, a child cannot take care of his own. Mm-hmm. He can't pay his rent. He can't. He doesn't have an income. Nothing. But as the child gets educated or learn a practical skill, he now use that knowledge and goes into the workforce, exchanges time for labor in order to earn a, a, an income. That's how you create wealth. It's using your knowledge, your your skills, and your judgment to create something of value. People pay for value. Mm-hmm. Africa is not developed because we are not able to transform our natural resources into alternative uses. Simple as that. Asia has, has no natural resources at all. Countries like Singapore, Japan, they don't have any natural resources. And yet, they're technologically more advanced than anyone. Why? Because they focus on transforming natural resources. Because the one who transforms natural resources gets to determine the price of those resources. Mm-hmm. And Africans do not transform their resources. Africa is abundantly rich in terms of natural resources. Africans tend to claim, oh yeah, like the West is coming and 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 steal our resources. I'm like, first of all, you don't have the resources to even transform that. If Western people did not come and tell you that there is oil, uh, there's oil underneath you, would you know? <laughs> you would never know that there's oil underneath you. And, and now you know how you're going to extract that oil. You need machines for that, but the creation of machines requires knowledge and education. Mm-hmm. So the, the point is that people in Africa do not invest enough in the gray matter, in the like in anything that requires intellectual capacities. Mm-hmm. Because intellectual capacities is in fact the foundation of the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Without the scientific method, without science and intellectual capacities, people would not be able to create the machines that they use in the factories. We would still be living in agriculture and, you know, being uh, very archaic. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing I will sometimes see people to add on to that, to respond to that is that, well, what you're getting at is that there is a lack of education and, you know, who better to provide education than the government to socialize it? Um, they say so. What they really need is 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 socialized education, universal education, like we do in the West, and that that would bring this prosperity um, uh, along with socialism, of course. That they say, but uh, so what is yours because i'm sure based on what i've read from you that you are against socializing education what would you suggest is the way to to get africans to you know transfer this knowledge use this knowledge obtain this knowledge um that does not involve the use of of a socialized education system okay so first the first thing is to incentivize Africans to value more intellectual activities than anything else. One of the issues, in my opinion, that, and I strongly, I take it really personal here. Like it it really pisses me off. I'm sorry for saying this way, but it really pisses me off when black people in general, not just Africans, but black Americans, no matter where they are on planet earth, black people in general do not give enough attention to education. They're too distracted. 
they focus more on entertainment, sports, all of that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but in order to develop a nation, a community or society, you need education. You don't, I never seen a country that be, that became wealthy through soccer or <laughs> basketball. I never seen it. If, it if, if, if soccer was the sport, was the economic activity to make people rich, then Brazil would be the first country on the planet. But Brazil is far from being the first country on the planet for a reason. It's the United States because here we value education as much as you know like yes the us has the has its flaws but we value education a lot so now when it comes to how can we move far away from the socialization of education as i said people need first to understand that intellectual activities matter more than physical activities or anything else once people are able to embrace and accept that as true which is actually true then now we will have like, then there are more entrepreneurs who are willing to create schools because no matter where you go on earth private education is more successful than public education private schools perform much better than public schools i'm not saying this is always the case every, like every time from a to z but everywhere you go in most situations private schools perform better than public schools because it comes back to the concept of private property again. The one who owns a school will put, uh, will take more responsibility. So he will put more seriousness. He will do everything he has to, to provide a good quality of service to the students who, who are attending his schools. But when you socialize education, you don't have to care. What is the problem with socialization of anything? The problem with socialization, whether it's education, medicine, God knows what. When resources are socialized or, or collectivized, no one is responsible for it. If, for instance, there is a uh, public park and someone cut a tree that wasn't supposed to cut, people will be like, well, who did that? No one will say it's me. So who is it then? Well, the tree has been cut, but who is it? Someone did it. And no one takes the blame for it. But if that park is your park, you're the owner. Even if you didn't cut it yourself, someone came and cut it, people will blame you because it's it's under your ownership. So when resources are collectivized, no one takes um, and no one takes ownership for it. And because no one takes ownership for it, people can are, are free to mismanage whenever they want. And when they mismanage, what happens? Oh, we need to pass a new policy to do CPR on the previous policy that failed, so that will be better. And we go on, we go on, we go on. And Mrs. talk about this in in his book, uh, interventionism. Yeah, intervention. He talked about this, like how government goes from policy to policy to do CPR on the previous policy that failed, and it never ends. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it gets worse. So. In Africa, like if you look at uh, social education, it's the same thing. Like the quality of education is poor because the government doesn't care. The government doesn't spend enough resources on it. And even when they do, they don't manage those resources well. That's why it is important, I believe in my opinion, at least to have a partnership between the private and the public sector, rather than having the public sector completely monopolizing uh, the sector of education. Mm -hmm. If at least the public sector can in, can 
define the laws that the public sector needs in order to invest in education, then we'll have better results. So um, you brought up an interesting point that uh, uh, this situation is not unique to Africans in Africa, but also black Americans um, and really blacks all over the world, um, because we do see a pretty unique situation. I mean, Africa itself is very unique in even just developing economies and how far it is behind in the world. And um, you described the I think pretty accurately that the problem is a lack of interest in intellectual pursuits and the tra um, transferring of knowledge, the use of this knowledge on our resources. But but why why did we see that um, cultural attitude among Africans and still see it today? What what is what do you think is the reason behind that attitude existing? Well, because black people are distracted. <laughs> Simple as that. You know the worst evil on earth is distraction because when you're distracted anyone can do anything to you all we have to do is to know to know what you're distracted about mm -hmm. and you know let's say that you love politics you love law and but you're distracted about video games and i know that if i want andre to not produce his intellectual work all i have to do is to offer him a ps5 <laughs> you're gonna play <laughs> you see what I mean? You're not going to do the work you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Because people are not focused. Why China is doing what they're doing today? Because those guys are focused as hell. Those guys are not playing. They're on a mission, and their mission is to take over the world, to get back the, 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 the position that they lost and that they had for centuries, the first world power. That, that's the goal. And they are extremely driven. That's why if you look at their their attitude when you go to college in America, like it, they all behave the same way. Their education or nothing. There's a reason for that. So you cannot distract an Asian person or a Chinese person. But Africans or Blacks in general, they're very distracted. We can do things, but because we're not focused on what we're doing, so it's easy to distract us, to take us away from what we're supposed to do. And that's why we don't produce the results we're supposed to produce. It's simple as that. It's just distraction. Mm -hmm. And and let me add this. For instance, I don't know if you heard of um, those things we call telenovelas. Is those Brazilian soap opera? They sell those things in Africa. They never sell it in Europe or in North America. There's a reason why they don't sell those soap operas in North America. No one is going to watch this. But in Northern Africa, people are going to watch this. People are so desperate and so poor there, you can sell them anything they'll buy. Why Africa has, is the, the continent that has most churches than libraries. Today in Africa, if you, life is tough on you and you, you see that you don't go anywhere, start a church, hmm. start a church, people will come. If you have great oratory skills, you're set. Yeah. <laughs> and you become a millionaire. I mean, it's cold, but that's the truth unfortunately, because mm -hmm. people are distracted. So they're distracted, they're desperate, so you can sell them whatever you want and they'll buy. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring up the, the church's example specifically uh, because something that's been a point of, of research for me for a while now, at, at least when it comes to Africa and the subject of economics, has been just how much um, 
the West's charity to Africa has had very much in unintended consequences. And I think I've seen you write about this before um, in, you know, how we give these free things, these um, uh, a really good example is, is uh, the shoe company Tom's. So for every shoe they sell, they'll give some to a kid in Africa. Well, this has the unintended consequence that it has taken business from an African shoemaker, someone who sells shoes there, and b basically robbed entrepreneurs of economic opportunity. So I wanted to ask you, um, and this kind of goes back to a question I asked earlier about the West's role in encouraging this behavior is, um, you know, could you really just outline how damaging it is th th this kind of policy of the West to be so charitable um, to the point of robbing economic opportunity well I'm sure you learn I mean you we all know this phrase if you give a fish to a man you know he'll be dependent on you for the rest of his life if you teach him how to fish he'll be free mm -hmm. it's the same if you provide things to people they will be dependent on you. Does the West does it in a calculated way? I will not be surprised if the West does it indeed, because <laughs> people who depend on you, you control them. You get to impose your your rules and conditions on them. You know, so uh, I don't think that charity is out of good heart. There is a lot of geopolitical strategy strategy behind it. Uh, so. And, and, and on top of that, most African leaders are also corrupt because there's no rule of law. Because a lot of European nations, including the IMF and the United Nations, are all sending those, you know, uh, those aids to African countries for them to develop and African governments take that money and things are the same. When you look at in Cameroon, for instance, the current president of Cameroon has been in power since 1982. Mm -hmm. And yet, in many Cameroonian villages, people do not have access to clean water. You've been in power since 1982. I was not even born then. Mm -hmm. And people living there still do not have access to clean water in the 21st century in 2022. Yeah. Because there is no rule of law. So there's no... there. African leaders don't have to uh, to be held accountable or responsible for their actions. It is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And the West also, you know, giving that charity, oh yeah, like we, we actually pity you guys. You guys should take this. It, it, it's bad because someone who pities you feels superior to you. That's what people don't understand. They think that the West is, does, does this out of good heart. No, what the West should export is education teach people the skills they need to be free. Someone who doesn't have the knowledge and the skills to do something will be a slave his whole life to something else. I have, I, I agree with that completely. And I think that is at the root of a lot of, um, not just Africa, but Africa, especially it, but developing economies in general, they've they've really lacked um, a self-sufficiency that has been exported to them, and yeah. and I think that's you know um, really just a, a major problem about it. Uh, I think the best thing that highlights this is really that developing economies actually have a bit of a of a, a 
head start when it comes to growth at least because the less re you get more value out of less resources um, just so the way I have always liked to explain it is a way that an econ professor of mine explained it um, after World War II ended and Japan um, was decimated by two nuclear bombs yeah. they actually post World War II was one of the fastest growing economies in the world and yeah. um, their cities uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were two of some of the fastest growing cities in the world and that's because yeah. they were starting from a lower point but yet we're not seeing this with nations in Africa or other developmental economies where like we should you know um, we're seeing the the opposite in some cases. We're actually seeing them go back. I think in South Africa, I remember reading about um, how p farms were being seized um, from uh, the minority white population, and actually their agricultural industry declined and, and it went backwards. So what I wanted to ask you about it is um, more the political aspect of a, of the political reasons of why Africa is where it is that it, it is now. Yeah, so the political reason is simply the lack of the rule of law. Because the rule of law is what protects private property. But when there is no rule of law, when the institutions are, are not strong enough to protect liberty and private property, well, you're going to have a big mismanagement and of resources and some sort of dictatorship. And that's what happens. Like in it, like in the US, for instance, despite all, all of its flaws, the rule of law still exists in this country. I've never seen an African president just resign the same way Nixon did because he broke the law. <laughs> I've never seen that. Nixon broke the law in America. He knew he was going to get impeached Therefore, he decided to resign. Mm -hmm. But will African leader dis, dis, will res, uh, is going to resign because he he broke the law? It's going to be like, well, come and impeach me. <laughs> I'm not leaving until you impeach me. Mm -hmm. So that is to say, we don't apply the law as it should be applied. We all have constitutions, but we don't respect what we write, and that's and that is a big problem. We don't have a constitutional personality in uh in in african countries or should i say a constitutional culture in the us we do like people know the constitution they know at least the most basic rights you know the the 10 amendments or now we have like what 27 but you know at least the basic 10 amendments uh, the bill of rights so people know about these things but in 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 african countries you can ask any african what is the first article of your constitution like that would be like what are you talking about mm -hmm. but that is to say that people don't understand their civic duties so government takes advantage of the fact that people are ignorant of their civic duties so you can tell them anything and on top of that they're distracted so yes you can tell them anything and they're going to buy it mm -hmm. so it's a, yeah it, 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 like it, again it comes back to the fundamental point a lack of education People are not educated. They're distracted. They're not focused on 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 what they're supposed to do, and that's yeah. and and that yeah, it comes back to this, and that's why Africa is lagging up to now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, as as you reiterate this point about being focused in, in having this drive and the education is really the key here to why we're seeing that. I think a lot about um, there's a passage and I think uh, Ethics for Liberty or For a New Liberty, one of Murray Rothbard's books he talks about in New York City, um, there's not a single Albanian on welfare, despite the fact that Albanians are one of the, were one of the poorest groups in New York City at the time. And um, he said the reason was is that they had a very proud culture of focus. And, you know, I think that's very true. And what we see when we see um, certain groups that are lagging behind others, we see that lack of focus. We see... Yeah, um, and, and be it, distracted by cultural things. And exactly, and to even come back to uh, to reinforce your point, I was reading about Jewish culture mm-hmm. in general. Poverty is 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 a curse in Jewish culture. I don't know if you're Jewish, but I was asking like, why Jewish people are wealthy, and I I watch a. Um, an, an, an interview of Thomas Sowell asking what, Jew, what Jewish people should do in order to not be persecuted anymore. He says simply don't succeed. <laughs> Simple as that, don't succeed. Jewish people have been fought wherever they are because they're successful in life. And they're successful because they reject poverty. Poverty is a bad thing. And that's why on my, on my Instagram, I always talk about wealth because wealth is important. Because wealth it enables you to not only have access to resources, but it also enables you to change lives. Imagine you worth $50 million. You know what you can do with $50 million? You can go to a low income neighborhood, buy an entire street, clean up the whole street and bring new development there and create business opportunities. With 50 million, you can do that. The new people that will be moving in, that that will be people being lifted out of poverty because they will have jobs. They will have a way to put food on the table. That's that's how it works. So being wealthy is important. We're not saying necessarily being a tycoon. I mean, it's great to be a tycoon, sure. (laughs) But poverty is not a good thing. And and the problem is that black people are proud to be poor. And you know what? It's it's funny we're talking about. It's like I was I just I was working on a paper last night that I'm going to publish very soon. It talks about why the police is treating black people poorly compared to other communities, right? Like you see, like people like Dirk Chauvin putting his his knee on the neck of a black guy, you know, like those repulsive things. But why? Why, when it comes to black people, the police is always treating black people like crap? And of course, people are saying, what? Oh, it's race. Oh, because black people, it's because they're black, therefore, no. It's because of the socioeconomic status. You never respect someone who is poor. <laughs> Simple as that. You don't, you don't respect someone who is poor. I, and I asked a friend, I said, okay, you saw Derek Chauvin, right? Putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd. Would he have done the same if it was LeBron James or Snoop Dogg? Snoop Dogg is black. George Floyd was black too. 
but why Derek Chauvin would have not dared to put his knee on the neck of Snoop Dogg while he did the same to George Floyd? Because George Floyd was poor. That's what it is. It's poverty. Like when you're poor, no one respects you. Hmm. Imagine, uh, will you see a, a, a cop doing that to a Jewish person? Oh my God. There'll be, dude, there'll be a nuclear war in this world if a, 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 a Jewish person is being treated by the police like this. But why? Because Jewish people understood that when you want to earn respect in this world, you have to avoid poverty. It's a cultural feature in Jewish culture. Like to them, if you're poor, you become a burden to their community. Mm -hmm. So they make sure that you get a job. That's why Jewish people are not on welfare. That was to come back to your to the point of the Albanians. Same thing. And it, it's something that black people need to understand and embrace, and they don't. They, they're like, oh, we're poor, uh, you know, life is great. We don't have to care about anything. Hood culture. There's a mm -hmm. book that I told, I told uh, Tom Woods that my next book will be about this. It's called Black Culture and Generational Poverty. And I wrote a, an entire chapter on hood culture, destroying that thing because I hate hood culture. It's such a destructive, and bad thing like it's killing people and people don't realize it mm -hmm. yeah i you know i think it's very interesting that we bring up um the collective mindset and the cultural mindsets of a lot of these very successful groups because they do view poverty as as a uh, burden placed upon the collective and in, yes. in a weird way um in being selfish in being self-interested in being um, you know, very individually minded, they're ending up being collectively minded in a sense that helps the community and helps themselves in the same place. And I think it, it brings up a lot of interesting things about the dichotomy of individualism and collectivism, where yeah. really this co the collectivism of socialism is actually individualism, selfishness, yeah, while ex the ex individualism exactly. and capitalism Thank you. is for the better you of made, collective. You made an excellent point, and that's what I explained about African culture. You know, African culture is culturally socialistic. Like we talk about, you know, sharing. We love to share what we have. And when we talk about Western culture, all Western people are selfish. They just care about themselves. But again, it's the complete opposite. Yes, Western people are selfish, but in fact, I don't think they're, their selfishness is not like greed. As Ayn Rand said, it's rational egoism, is being rationally self-interested. It's because in order to provide resources and opportunities to those who are lacking those opportunities, you need to have the resources, but mm -hmm. how can you give those resources if you don't have it yourself? And in order to have it yourself, you have to focus on getting them. Mm -hmm. That's where individualism of Western culture comes from. Yes. You focus on getting the resources that you need in order to supply it now to society at large. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, African culture is the opposite. When you try to get the resources they need in order to move forward they prevent you by saying that whatever you earn you have to give it to us immediately they don't give you time to let things grow they don't give you time to work and if you don't they will say that you're a bad person you don't think about your community in africa we put the community above the individual in the west we put the individual above the community 
yeah, I, I think that's very, very true. And um, I appreciate your analysis and, and getting to make that point and also echoing that point because it's one that I think is often overlooked and not really espoused by uh, people in our circles, the libertarian circles, the right, etc. So, um, but so usually I give this opportunity for uh, people to promote their stuff. So anything you want to promote, oh. I would like you to have the floor. It's your floor. Oh well, I mean, I don't even know what to. Pro I have like so much stuff out there in the world. I mean, like all I can say is like you know to, for people to check my books on Amazon, to follow me on Instagram. I'm more present on Instagram than Facebook. On Facebook, I mainly post my papers. On Instagram, that's why I post like my books and my philosophy of life in general. Uh, and people can Google me and they will have access to my website. I will ask, I should um, ask people to subscribe to my website. It's free. I'm not taking money from anyone unless I start uh, a second business. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, because I already own one. It's like, it's an investment fund that I started with my friends. And uh, so once I start my second business, then yeah, I'll be taking money from people. For that, it's not the case. So, um, but yeah, like, I'm pretty much on the internet. Yeah, I'm on yeah. the internet. If you type Germinal Jeevan, I will pop up. Okay. Yeah, and I'll make sure to link all those things in the description. And um, hopefully this will come out um, after you release that paper you mentioned, and I'll link that paper too. Um, oh, I yeah, absolutely. Remember yeah. to get it and stuff. So if you want to mm -hmm. send it to me, too, once once you have it published, I'll make sure it gets in. So, but, Oh, yeah, um, definitely. definitely. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I, I loved having you on. and um, Thank you very much. Yeah, you have a wonderful night now. Thank you. Appreciate it, man.